0: All right, we're now joined by Rachel Dory, Staff and Graph Podcast. Is there any record from your generation, uh, Rachel, that universally everybody had that album? Oh
1: man. Um I grew up in a household that listened to uh A C D C and and that sort of era, but I feel like every single one of my friends, whether it was a guy or a girl, um, owned a Taylor Swift record of some sort at some point because either they liked it or they had a sister or a cousin or like whatever. It just felt like every single person knew love story or you belong with me. That was just kind of the thing growing up.
0: So what what you're saying basically is that you had great parents. Anybody who has to listen to ACDC as a child has great parents.
1: Oh, yeah. I have fantastic. Like I I'm my favorite bands are Queen, The Killers and Coldplay. Nice.
0: Nice. uh,
1: That's yeah, that's my thing. And I mean, I uh, I absolutely love Queen and I'm kind of upset that I never got to see Freddie Mercury because I that's probably like the one I would say band or um, artist that I would have done anything to see. I would have paid any amount of money to see.
0: I was the first person and the only person in Maidstone, Saskatchewan, to buy Sheer Heart Attack because it came into the drug the hard store, hardware store and I bought it the first day. Uh, they were wildly popular, and you're right, they were a great band. Their music is, is timeless, and I don't think... We haven't really had a repeat of Queen, right? Like, they're still kind of original.
1: Yeah, Queen is, is different, and I think if you think of it, I, I watched the documentary uh, on Netflix, but I think when you think about Queen... Freddie Mercury paved the way for so many of the artists that we see today, and it was just okay to be outside of the box. And I, I feel like a lot of people, including Adam Lambert, who's now the front man for the band, um, have given him the appropriate credit in saying, like, we couldn't do what we do if it weren't for Freddie. And so I think not only is it absolutely fantastic music, whether it's Bohemian Rhapsody or Don't Stop Me Now or We Will Rock You, uh, just the actual impact on the music and the uh, artist landscape was tremendous from that band.
0: Rachel Doria, our guest staff and Podcast. The reason we can talk about Queen and other music is because there's no trades, Rachel. What's happening? Is Are they just waiting until the final hours?
1: You can blame the Calgary claims for that one. Um, everyone is waiting for Calgary to make their decision. And right now, they're kind of... In, the, in that limbo, right? I think if they would have lost to Edmonton over the weekend in the Battle of Alberta, we might have seen some trades uh, today or uh, yesterday. And right now, they're still sort of in it. And they have all the shoes, right? They've got Markstrom, Tanev, and Hannifin, and even to a degree, Rasmus Anderson. And I think a lot of people are sort of waiting to figure out if those players are actually going to be available. And that's sort of what's holding everything else up i think and that's kind of the sense i get from talking to a lot of people in the industry
0: rumors have the auditors chasing adam henrique of the ducks chris tanev obviously uh you've talked about from calgary and then uh this morning i think it was elliot friedman mentioned as far as wingers are concerned luke coonan and anthony mantha along with Gensel, and everybody's interested should he come available um Is there a best fit in the group of the rumored names? Is there somebody you like the most for the Oilers and think they would fit in best?
1: Well, I think defense has to sort of be a priority for them because when Ekholm and Bouchard aren't on the ice, uh, it's not good. It's actually really bad. And so I think if you're going to shore up to really take a run at the Stanley Cup, I think you have to shore up your defense. And so I think acquiring a guy like Tanev, which is going to be hard given that uh, he plays for Calgary. Um, I think that's going to be difficult. Failing that, if you can't shore up your defense, you've got to be able to have three productive lines. So I do like a guy like Mantha, if the price isn't too prohibitive. Obviously, Gensel is the guy you're going after because that's a real difference maker, right? That's that's a guy where you can have your first line of McDavid, Hyman, and whoever on the left side, and then your second line you could go Dreis, seidel, Gensel. Nugent Hopkins even and and that gives you a far more dangerous top six and I mean if you even want to get creative you could put Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the third line and you give yourself three lines that are more than capable of scoring whether you have Evander Kane Corey Perry flanking him I really think that would be a fantastic add for Edmonton I'm just not sure that the cost won't be too prohibitive
0: Should Ken Holland at least consider adding a goaltender? I know that that, you'd risk losing uh, Pickard on waivers or whatever. Uh, Maybe he could be included in the trade. I don't know. But is the goaltending good enough, or should they keep an eye out for a goalie if one comes available?
1: I think that's an it depends question. And I say it depends because... That goaltender, like the only way I see it making sense for Edmonton to spend serious assets on a goaltender is if that goaltender's name is UC Soros or something of that caliber. I mean, if you have the opportunity to get a difference maker, a guy like UC Soros, I think Edmonton should be all over that because the reality is is I think it's not a hot take to say that UC Soros is better than anybody they've got in Edmonton right now. He's probably better than most goalies in the league in any given season. And so I I think that Edmonton probably needs to focus on shoring up their defense because right now outside of Ekholm and Bouchard, it's a big problem and you can't just be reliant on your goaltending, especially when you don't have a guy like UC Saros. So I think making life easier on your goaltenders Stuart Skinner has proven that if you make his life not inherently difficult, he can backstop you. And so I I don't think goaltending is necessarily as big of a problem as the defense is. But if a guy like UC Saros becomes available, I think Edmonton at least has to do the due diligence there and really take a look at it. The problem that they have, obviously, is Jack Campbell. And uh, I would have to think that he goes out the door in any level of goaltender trade that happens.
0: Rachel Dory, our guest, Staff and Grab Podcast and various other spots on the interwebs. Uh, why are the Leafs doing so well? I, I I thought when Riley went out, they'd go down. They did not. They look stronger. They're getting their goalie back. Um, are their forwards so good they can outscore everybody? Or are they? is their system working well enough and the defensemen are good enough to keep this rolling?
1: There have been two main changes Sheldon Keith has made since the Riley suspension. It is there are changes that a lot of people I've spoken to quietly been discussing, and I've seen the fan base clamoring for it on Twitter, although Sheldon Keith does not read Twitter, and bless him because that would be a bad idea in this city. But the two main changes are he's moved Tavares to, to the third line, And he's put Brody back on his proper side, on the left side, and he's paired him with Lilligren. And that Brody-Lilligren pairing has been nothing short of absolutely spectacular. And so that's a huge change because Brody was having just an awful season. And John Tavares is having a bit of a down season. But when you put him on the third line, he gets easier matchups. He's flanked by McMahon and Robertson. And they're able to use their speed and crash and bang. And so Tavares doesn't have to forecheck. In the same way, and he's able to find that open space in the middle of the ice because those guys can get the puck to him. And now he's the one shooting the puck in a lesser matchup role, and he's still good enough that he is going to win those minutes. And so he's still getting his power play cookies. But I think easing the load on both Tavares and Brody and putting Brody in a better position has really helped the Maple Leafs in terms of their depth because. The Leafs went from having two lines to having three lines that are really dangerous, and then a fourth line that is having some moving parts but is still able to not get caved in and and win their minutes on most nights. And then on defense, you've got a pairing now that can actually play defense appropriately, and you can allow Morgan Riley to go with McCabe or Benoit or whatever the case may be, and roam a little bit more freely because Riley and Brody, I mean, we saw it against the Avalanche, when they were on the ice together, it was a hot mess express. But when they were not on the ice together, both of them were very good.
0: Rachel, you've suggested in the past th- as an idea that maybe the, the Leafs don't you know, go all in for once and maybe keep their powder dry and, and because the, the, there's some flaws in this roster and the flaws still exist. But are they playing so well it might be worth making a little bit of investment on this team at the deadline?
1: They have uh, they've changed my mind. Um, I think that the a couple of weeks ago, even a month ago, I was right there. I I don't think they should push the assets in because I just didn't think they were good enough. But Sheldon Keith has shown that he can make adjustments and now three productive lines and um, a productive really productive D pairing. I think if you can get a legitimate D partner for Morgan Riley, that gives you three productive lines two good D pairings and a couple of good goaltenders. And that's a recipe for success. So I don't think they should be going willy nilly and trying to get Jake Gensel or anything like that. But I think if you can get a Chris Tanev, that's absolutely somebody that they should be looking at. I think they got one big move that they can do. And that's probably the best one is to find a partner that can play with Morgan Riley so that they can leave the Brody Lilligren pairing and continue to roll
0: those three lines. Final one Since the 1st of uh, January Connor McDavid leads The NHL in points But he's not scoring He's not shooting as often And they're not going in As often My guess is A little bit injury But Shouldn't a player At least some of the time As a way to keep Opponents and goalies Off balance And uncertain Shoot the puck To kind of Use that in the arsenal And have them Know that they might Have to defend that
1: I feel like Generally My answer to that question Is yes You want to keep A guy off balance And that's sort of something we've seen from some other players. Mitch Marner's uh, improved shot has helped him score a little bit more with Connor McDavid though. It's different. That guy is just so good that it, it doesn't matter. You could know he's passing the puck and you're still not stopping him. And we've seen that he's got the most that he has more assists in February than I think 95% of the league has points. And that's extremely crazy to think about. And so, yes, should he keep them off balance? It would be good. I think those pucks are going to start to go in. He hits three posts against Minnesota. So it's not that he's not getting his scoring chances. I just think he's having a little bit of tough luck right now. And the fact that he's still nearly two points a game is kind of nuts. It just shows that um, even though the pucks aren't going in for him from a goal-scoring perspective, he's still an unstoppable force. And try as you might to keep him at bay – you're not very good at it, no matter what. And if he starts scoring come playoff time and keeps that assist trade moving, I wouldn't want to see Edmonton in the playoffs, that's for sure.
0: All right, Queen Forever. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Rachel Dory, Staff and Graph Podcast.